Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Leo Alstrom. I'm the worship arts pastor here at Rolling Hills. In our current series, Advance, we've been diving into different aspects of health, and today is a financial health. Money is a topic that our world tends to talk pretty often about, whether you're a Christ follower or not. It affects our lifestyles, our status at times, and some days our stress levels. God created us to use money and resources for His glory. So let's gain some new insight in financial health today and see how we can conform to God's plan for money versus the world's. Thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning. That was in script here. I had to say that. So uh, I'll tell you what, you know, there are moments when... um, you wish you didn't rush past them. And uh, <clears throat> as we sang this morning, I wish we wouldn't have, I wish we had more time to not rush past. <clears throat> Just speaking in the name of Jesus and remembering that there is peace in his presence. Uh, I don't know about you, but for some reason, uh, that particularly was. needed this morning, just the, the reality that in his presence there is peace. And right now, even as Greg said it, I don't know what you walked in here with. I don't know why that's so specific this morning. I've heard this song a thousand times and, or you know, a number of times, and it's never really been that clear. that This morning, maybe, just, maybe we just need a pause and just say, Jesus, we need to know that peace. We need, to, we need to feel your presence. And so let's pause just for a second. And, and, and I just, I'm going to give you some space because I need the space, maybe. Uh, it, was, it was a busy morning. Uh, a good morning, but a busy one. And, and honestly, as we say it, as, as, like I walked up here and walked into here anxious. And I don't know why, but I did. And so... I want to just stop and just say, God, would you, would you meet us here and calm us so that we can hear your word clearly? So let's just give it a second. Just, just where you're at, if you just, we're just going to be quiet for a minute. This may be uncomfortable. If you're new, I don't do this every week, but uh, there are times when I think we need it. And so we're going we're gonna to just pause for just a moment. And then I'm going to pray and we're going to restart here <laughs> uh, as, as we continue to work through this, through, through this sermon series called Advance. So just give it a second here. God, for some reason this morning, there was anxiousness in my heart, a feeling of uneasiness, of hurry and worry, And I don't know if this was really the right time to take this pause, but I needed it. And I believe that there are many of us here that just need to be reminded that you are near us, that you are present. That we need to be reminded of how desperately we need you and how lovingly you come to us and meet us in our desperation. I pray this morning as we sing and as we open up your word, 
Father, you would do something incredible in our hearts and transform us and give us a new, a new perspective, a new, eye, a new mind, a new eyes to see the way that you see. And we would grow more like you and mature as your children, as your disciples. We thank you for being here. We thank you for what you're doing and that we get to be a part of it and that you're changing us in the process. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as Laura said earlier, we are in a sermon series called Advance, and it's kind of the beginning of the year where, you know, health and those kind of things are, are they, they, they dominate the headlines right here at the beginning of the year, kind of a fever pitch of us desiring to be healthy and to, to move into healthy places and, and to do things that are healthier maybe than they were in the past. And, and right now is really that time of the year when we go all in. You know, it's easier to start in the beginning of the year and really get that focus and go all in. This is that moment where the commitment levels are high, where we adopt new uh, or at least try to adopt new habits and those kind of things. For some of us, it's that time of year where you judge your friends for their obvious lack of commitment, uh, for something that you've been so committed to at least for the last 23-ish days. Maybe that's a little bit too much into my heart and how I've judged people, but... But the reality is this is the time of year where we, where we do adopt and we, we start new things. And, 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 and so we're in this sermon series called Advance where we're about five different areas of our lives. We're just asking what it looks like to biblically live healthy lives. We started with physical. In the first week, we, we talked about physical. Uh, we talked about relational last week because of the snow. We went online and you heard from uh, Mike Minter, who is new to our staff, but been a pastor for 40-something years and, and an incredible man who spoke about emotional health in one of my favorite passages in Psalm 73. If you didn't see that one, you can go back and check it out on the website. And side note to all that, last week's sermon was probably going to be the best sermon I ever preached, but <laughs> snow, what do you do? Next week, we're going to talk about mental health, and, and I'm, really, I'm excited, even though there's, there's, you know, there's some, I'm a little pensive, a little bit nervous about walking into that, walking into that and, and asking God to just shed some light on this subject that is pervasive in our culture and society right now and, 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 and shed some light on that. But this week, we're just going to back right up into your business. You get real comfortable right up in your business because we're going to talk about finances this week financial health and I can already hear the murmurs in your in your heart and your mind that says oh the church all it talks about is money and like well that's not true a we don't only talk about money we talk about lots of other things but statistically it is I mean when we look at like around the world when people are asked about what the church talks about statistically people think that that's what we talk about Again, the truth is that's not what we talk about all the time, but it is a reality that we do have, we do talk about money because it's a part of the overall health of, of us as individuals and followers of Christ. And I, I believe that the stats for us are clear. I think we have some of these right here that, that, that 33% of an adult, adults in America have saved zero money for their retirement. That's me. Um, 38 Percent of households in America have credit card debt. I'm not going to admit that. The 67 percent of people in the in the U.S. would have a hard time paying for a thousand dollar emergency expenses. I think there's is there one more. And 59 percent of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 
And all the Dave Ramsey folks in the room are like, I can fix that. And you're like, okay, great. Well, you can talk to them later, right? I got it right now. But that's the reality of that's where we live. Right? And, and so statistically, yes, do, do we talk about money? Yes, because it's a part of who we are. Money is a part of our lives and God speaks to it. And, and, and the, the world around us, it, it, it's obviously in need of a conversation about money. Scripture also gives us clear warrant. In the Old Testament and New Testament combined, there's over 800 passages that specifically talk about money and finances. Jesus himself was about 25% of his words that are recorded in the gospels are talking about money and finances and the way we spend that and give and share. And so our culture, is, it, it's, it's the reality that, that all around us, that we need this and scripture warrants that. And I, I know that you know, I, I'm not, I don't want to shy away from the conversation, even though I, I, honestly, there's some nerves that I have about talking about money. I'm not, I don't want to shy away from the conversation because of a bad taste that you may have in your mouth about the church and money, because the reality is that you may, but God can redeem that. I personally, I know what that's like. Personally, when I was in middle school, my pastor who I knew and spent time with his family and trusted this man, he was he was arrested and spent time in federal prison for embezzling lots and lots of money from our church. So I know what it's like to have a bad taste in your mouth about church and money. We're not going to shy away from it because of bad experiences. The reason I am apprehensive about talking about money is because when you talk about money and finances and wealth and possessions, we're talking about priorities and idols and worship. When you start talking about people's idols, people get aggravated. So that's what makes me nervous about it. Money is one of the greatest idols of our culture, but it's not just an idol out, out there in our world and in the culture. It's an idol right here in our own hearts. It's where we misplace our priorities. We don't like these conversations because we get convicted because they're a window into our souls, into our spiritual life and the priorities. We don't like them because we don't really believe what God says about money and finances or we don't want to believe it because it would change the way we live. But simply put, and the reason why I believe this is so important is because there's no way that we can be healthy, growing, maturing disciples of Jesus without growing in our trust of God when it comes to money and resources that he's given us stewardship over. And so today, the big idea, and you have this in your worship guide if you wanna fill this out, the big idea for what, how we're gonna work through this is, to, is this, that to advance in our financial health, we're asking God to transform our perspective on money and wealth and give us wisdom to understand finances, faith to trust him with our finances so that he would be glorified through our finances. And the passage that we're going to work through this morning is, is, comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6, 17 through 19. And I'm going to read this and then we're going to dive right in because I have like three sermons worth of stuff here and 18 minutes left. So uh, that's going to that's be tough. So here's the, here's the passage, 1 Timothy. It says, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Verse 18, 
Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this, they shall lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the age to come, so that they too, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So we're gonna work through this in three categories, and it's really kind of just right there from the from, your, from the main idea, and, and we're gonna fill these blanks in to kind of work through this. And, and the beginning of all of this, and the beginning of, of understanding, or, or the beginning of, of really growing in health, advancing in our maturity, and when it comes to finances, is that there's wisdom. It begins with wisdom. The first steps in financial health, we've gotta believe, it is, is, is taking steps towards wisdom and understanding. When it comes to money and resources and wealth, it's the beginning of that and understanding and wisdom of that is that God is the source and the sovereign of all things. God is the source of all and sovereign over all things. God is the source of all and sovereign over all things. A couple of passages of scripture just to kind of help us see this. John chapter, chapter one, verse three, it says, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Paul writes in Romans 11, verse 36, it says, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And throughout scripture, there's over and over these times where they tells us, he reminds us that, that scripture tells us and, 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 and lets us know that God is the one who created all things. He spoke everything into existence. He holds all things together. It comes from him and he is sovereign over it all. Many of y'all, let me ask you if you, you recognize this, this group of characters on that picture. That was, I did a bad job of picking that one. Anybody know who this is? Anybody? All right, we'll go. So here's some, yeah, right? Father Knows Best. That was a bad picture. My bad. I should have gotten a better, a better image. Father Knows Best, right? I've tried to convince my kids that they made a show about me, but they, uh, they, don't, uh, they don't realize that they don't believe me. They think they know better. And the problem is the reality for many of us is that we think that we know better. That God is the source of all things and he's sovereign over all things, but we think that we know better. It's what got us in trouble from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and Eve looked at the fruit and saw that it was good for taste, that it was, it was beautiful and good for taste, she thought that she knew better. And ever since, we've been in the same process, that we think that we know better, that even though God is the source of all things, we think that we know how to handle the things that he's given us stewardship over better than he's told us how to do it. The problem is we think that as we think that we know better, that scripture testifies over and over again that he is sovereign over these things and his sovereignty, what it means for us is that God knows all things and has absolute right to do all things according to his knowledge and his perfect will or his, and his perfection and his pleasure. That God knows all things and has the absolute right to do all things according to his knowledge, his perfect will and his pleasure. Meaning if we find ourselves in this place where, where we think that we know better what we need, then what we're saying is we're stepping outside of God's sovereignty and his, the source of all things and his sovereign over all things. And we're saying, God, I know better than what you do about what I need. So when we find ourselves in those places where we say, God, I need this, or I wish I had that, or why did they get this and I don't get this, what we're saying, and I, honestly, I've been there. I may have been there this morning already. 
what we're saying, what we may not understand, and it may not, may not make sense, is that, God, I believe I'm better at figuring this out than you are. And the truth is that him as the source and the creator and sovereign over all things has the perfect will and understanding to dispense to whomever, however he chooses, whenever he chooses. If you don't have something, it's not because God missed it or made a mistake. As you look at, as you, as you take in the landscape of your, of your neighborhood and your friends and, and our culture, and you're like, God, I wish I had that. It's not because God made a mistake that you don't have it. It's because in his sovereignty, he knows that it's better not for you to have it. And what you have in his sovereignty and his source, him being the source and sovereign over all things, he knows that the things that we have are exactly what we need to glorify him in the way that he's called us to glorify. And not having it, even though we can't understand this sometimes, is as much his grace as having something would seem like it is his grace. And if we don't have it, it's his grace that we don't have it. It's not that he missed it or made a mistake. It's that he understands better than we do what we need because he's the source of all things and sovereign over all things. Wisdom begins by understanding that. And secondly, it's an understanding that God has made us stewards of the financial resources that he's entrusted us with that he's made us stewards of the financial resources that he's trusted us with. Let's go ahead and establish this just real quick because I I believe that it's gonna happen in some of our minds. I can hear you, I can hear us kind of thinking, I really don't have a lot. I don't have a lot to, to, you know, you're talking to somebody else, right? And just let me make this clear, right? We live right now in the wealthiest time in all of history in the wealthiest country in all the world. And to drill down just a little bit, in, in Middle Tennessee is the wealthiest part of our state and in the top 10 wealthiest areas in our whole nation. And so just by the fact that we live where we live, when we live, it makes us part of the wealthiest people in all of the planet, in all of time. So maybe you don't feel like you have a lot, but just based on where we live and when we live, we are all incredibly wealthy. And whatever you have, whether you consider it a lot or little, God has given it to us as a gift. James, the brother of Jesus says this in first James, James chapter one, 16 and 17, he says, do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father, of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Which means for us that that your income, your allowance, it's a gift. Your car, your hoverboard, kids, your, your bike, your skateboard, it's a gift. Your home, the bed that you sleep in, the gaming console that you have, your clothes, your food, the technology, and all of the other things that we don't have time to list, it's all a gift and it's all those things that God has given us and the money and the resources that we have that he's given us, that he's called us to be good stewards of, to manage those things well, and to advance and mature in godly financial health, we begin by asking God for wisdom to understand. And we ask him, secondly, for faith so that we move that, that understanding into action. 
He's called us to this. He's the source. He's made us sovereign. And we ask him for faith so that we move that understanding of who he is into action. And so the second part is faith. And the next, the next line there for us to fill out is that this is just a, a statement of, of, of fact for us as we move on. It says this, that financial or finances have a way of exposing our priorities and are key indicators for our spiritual health. I want to make a point here just for, for all of us that, that we do a little bit of personal inventory and, and a reality that no matter where we are, and, and maybe it's better than it used to be, it may be better than somebody else, but no matter where we are and who we are, we all have a little bit of a broken understanding of money and finances. It's a little bit marred. It's a little bit skewed. Maybe it's, again, maybe it's better than it used to be. Maybe it's better than your neighbor's. Maybe you're, you're, you're cranking out and you feel pretty good, but all of us in some ways, our view of money and wealth, our view of financial resources is a little bit marred. It's a little bit, a, a, a little bit, a, a little bit askew. But, and so what we understand is that God has called us to trust him in a way, in the ways that we share and save and spend. So we're asking him to transform that perspective. And, and, and because it's a little bit marred, we're asking him to transform that perspective. And he's calling us to trust him. And that transformation of that perspective, he's calling us to trust him with the way that we share, the way that we save, and the way that we spend. And I'm not joking that like literally Friday afternoon when I finished writing this sermon, it was word count wise, it was worth three sermons. Okay, so I don't have time to walk through all of this. But I do believe that there's some there's some specifically about sharing that if we get that right, if we get right, the, the, uh, what we have to do and, and what God's called us to do in giving and sharing the resources that he's given us, I think the rest of it can fall into line or can become more healthy. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time. I know you have some lines on there. We're going to, I'll make sure your lines for you type a, you will get the lines filled. Don't worry. But I want to drill down just for a little bit on this sharing. Before we jump in, a handful of things that we talk about that, I, I, I want to come back to this. I know what it feels like to struggle with the idea of giving. I've been where you are and I've listened to people talk about money and giving and I've had the response where I'm like, yeah, but you don't know my situation. Or I've looked at them and be like, yeah, but you've got money and I don't. Right, I've been in that seat, I've watched it. I've, I've been in those places where, yes, you're talking to somebody else besides me because you don't know what's going on in my life. And I want you to hear me this morning that, that, so that you don't write me off, right? I, I'm coming to you and talking about giving from a place of, of humility because I struggle with it. Not I struggled, but I struggle. I still struggle with giving. I still struggle with seeing that rightly. I, I, come, I, I come to you in a, in a place of real life where we have three kids and two dogs and a cat that you can have if you want. <laughs> I got bills. I, and, and until just recently, we were a single income family. And so I know what it's like to say no to things that you want. And honestly, should say no to more things that we want. I know what it's like to wrestle with the question of can we give even that much? And so into that, like, I don't want you to think, oh, he's separated from, no, I'm right in this with you. And maybe you're like, I'm not struggling with that. Look, okay, you can come teach next week then. 
But I believe that it's important, even in that struggle, I believe it's important for us to talk about it because if we get this right, if we get sharing and giving right, I believe the rest of it falls into place. Here's a couple things that I think we need to consider about giving and sharing. Is that one, that God doesn't need your money. Let's start right there. God doesn't need your money. It goes back to him being the source, but it bears repeating. Listen, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He doesn't need your money. It's not his allowance for living. He doesn't need what you've given. But he does give us an outline for giving. Malachi chapter, chapter three, the prophet in the Old Testament He says this, beginning in verse nine, he says, you are under a curse. He's speaking to the Israelite people. He says, your whole nation, because you have robbed me, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me with this. See, see, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 12, and then the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. What Malachi mentions as he's talking to the Israelite people is the tithe which is not established in this moment. He doesn't just create that in that moment. It's something that God established with Abraham in Genesis. It goes way back in there. It finds its place into the Mosaic law as, as in Exodus, as God gives Exodus and Deuteronomy, as God gives them the law of how to relate to him. It's part of the way that God designed us to relate to him and live life to the fullest was to give. And I'm not a math guy, right? I'm a preacher. And so we don't do math. The best is, this is math, right? Tithe was what we learned in preacher school about math. And that's 10%, right? He establishes this. And so for them, for the Israelites, it's if you'd had 20, if you had 20 lambs, new lambs in a year, you're going to bring two. And if you have four, if you had 40 bushels of grain in the year, you're going to bring four. That's the extent of my math, right? You got it. So I had to repeat all of my math classes in high school. That's not a joke. But simply, this, it's, it's a tenth. And I'm not going to get too far into the details, but the reality is if you really dig what God established as the rule of thumb for, the, for these people, as he gave them this, this way to interact and, and this, the tithe as a part of that, as a way to worship him and the way that life works best, it works out to more about 23% of the requirement of what they would bring. And then on top of that, there were free gift offerings where they would bring just as a celebration of what God has done. And so the the reality is it's much more than a tenth in in truth. And that would be the floor, not the ceiling. It was the beginnings, not the end. Remember, God doesn't need your money. His directions to the Israelites in this moment as this outline is a way for us to honor him. And it was the way that God was giving his people as all of the commandments are. This is the way that life works best. Father knows best. And as the source and the sovereign, this is the best way for us to live together in relationship. Second, the next thing is that he gives us an outline, but he also gives us a warning about giving. If you turn back to that, that Malachi passage, Malachi is speaking to God's people, the Israelites, 
And it's about 100 years after their captivity to Babylon. If you, maybe you remember, if, even if you haven't been around church for long, you maybe remember the story of Daniel and the lion's den. It's a pretty popular story. Daniel was in Babylon, right? And so a couple years after Daniel and the lion's den, the, the king of Persia, they, he releases them, and they go back to the they go, Israelites. Many of them go back to Israel or go back to Jerusalem, and they're going back to, to rebuild the temple. But as Malachi is talking to them, about 100 years after they've been freed from that captivity, the temple in Israel or in Jerusalem has not been rebuilt. It's still in disarray. And this people of God, this spiritually, they're in a stalemate. Economically, they're in a downturn and things are not great. They're, they're still a small, insignificant city and people, they suffer from drought and crop failure. Things are not great for them. And the question for us is why? And you go right back to it, right back to verse nine. The very beginning is Malachi says this, you are under a curse, your whole nation because you have robbed me. What is he say? You haven't brought in, you have not brought in the tithe. You've not done what you said, what is ascribed to us to do in this relationship that we have. And, and one commentator puts it this way, and I think it's just so perfect for us to understand. It says that the neglect in bringing in their tithe, their tithe seemed to be justified because the crops were failing and there was drought and pestilence. But what the Lord reveals through his prophet Malachi is, that, is something that we should listen closely to. The place that they found themselves in was not to blame for their disobedience. Their disobedience was to be blamed for the place that they found themselves in. And for the people of Israel, it wasn't the fact that they had crop failure and all of these things that were happening that would say, no, God, we can't do this because these things are happening. No, it's we're not doing what you've called us to do. And the result is these things are happening. And this is not, listen, do not hear me say this is health and wealth. Do not hear me say, if you invest, God's going to give you 10,000 more. I did not say that, but he gave us an outline. And he says, if you do what I tell you to do, life goes better with you. So not only does God's word give us a warning, an outline and a warning, God's word gives us an opportunity and giving gives us an opportunity to test our hearts. It's not easy for us to hear it, but many of us, myself included, we live in this place where we think that the crops, if the crops would just stop failing, and I know many of you don't raise crops, I get it, just go with me on the analogy, right? If the drought would end, then, then we would give. We think that, that if, if the circumstances would change, if the checkbook would have more in it than it does at the end of the month, then we would be faithful to give. But what if the crop failing and the drought and the circumstances and the checking account being low are a result of our lack of faith and faithfulness to give. So giving gives us that opportunity on a regular basis. His instructions is, is that opportunity for us to test our heart and regularly evaluate where our faith lies. Who are we trusting in? One more thing, because I believe that this comes up every time we have these conversations, the, the question of, what about grace and the gospel, right? What, what about, what about how, how that all works together? And, and I'm glad you asked because also I would say this is the last thing that the gospel informs and transforms how we give. 
Tithe is a part of the law of the Old Testament. And right, and Jesus, if you know this, that Jesus came and he died on a cross and he frees us from the law. And, and so we're not under that law anymore. We're under grace. And so that's true. I 100% believe that. I 100% agree with you in that argument. That's a great argument. But let me give you a couple things to think about. One is that the New Testament doesn't give a number or a percentage. Christ does, however, in the gospel, affirm the tithe when he's talking to or chastising the Pharisees in the gospel accounts. And even living free from the law and under grace, the question is, could this tithe still be a good idea? Let me try to illustrate this to help us understand it. If this afternoon we get a text message from the federal government because they all have our number and they call us if they want to. And you read that text message this afternoon and says, listen, all, all laws concerning seatbelts are henceforth, because I, why not say henceforth, that sounds good, suspended from this time forth and forevermore. So I don't have to wear, I don't have to wear a seatbelt anymore when I get in my car, which honestly, I'm down. I hate seatbelts. I, I just, they're restrictive. It's crazy. I don't like them. But that beeping sound, it makes it happen. So that's good for whoever did that. But I don't have to wear a seatbelt anymore by the law. But does that make it a bad idea? Is, is buckling my seatbelt, even though it's not a law, is buckling my seatbelt still a good idea? I mean, am I going to get in the car next time and say, hey, kids, we ain't got to put them seatbelts on. Y'all just fly about in the car. That sounds good to me. No, reality, it's still a good idea, even if we don't, we're not under that law anymore, right? The freedom is there, but the fullness of the experience and, and being safe and, and, and experiencing the car in ways that are safe, we want to put that on. And I would say the same thing is about giving, that we are free from it because Christ freed us from the law. But in that freedom, the tithe remains a good practice, a great guide, a guardrail to experience that freedom to the fullness. It's the floor again and not the ceiling because we are under grace and we have experienced the gospel, the freedom of the gospel that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And again, one commentator or author said it this way, and I just love this, that this, listen, that Christians giving under grace should still be proportional and and generous and willing and through a particular, and though a particular portion is not specified in the New Testament, it would be strange for us to give less under the freedom and grace of the gospel than what was called for under the law. How could we, who've experienced the fullness of God's grace, think that it would be normal for us to give less than those who gave but didn't do so, having known the transforming power of the gospel? Yeah, you're free. We don't have the law of the Old Testament as holding over us, but in that freedom, the full experience of it, why would we not give more than what was required under the law because of the grace that we've experienced? See, the gospel informs and transforms the way that we give, the way that we share the resources that we've been given. It transforms the way that we save and the way that we spend 
I think if we get this sharing and the way that we give right, all those other things begin to fall into place. And, and God's word does give us just these warnings, these reminders over and over again, not only in sharing, but in saving and spending, not to make our priority the wealth, not to make, make, fix our eyes on those things. He gives us warnings not to make riches our aim and to find identity and security and hope and money, but to guard our hearts from the love and the worship of money. It's good, it's, it, it, it's good for us to, to do healthy and wise things and to be content and to use our wealth in wise ways is what he calls us to. If you're filling in, I know you're right, like, T, you gotta give me the last couple of, couple of lines there. The last one is to worship. Giving, we worship, it, it, we, we wanna glorify God by our giving and so worship is what happens when we get this right and, and, and with our finances and, and one of the ways that we can worship him is by giving thanks for God's provision. By just pointing to him and, and joyful recognition and gratitude and celebration for his goodness and his mercy that he is the giver. And when we give, we celebrate the fact that he's the giver. We worship him. We worship him by giving to make his name known. I love this passage from Malachi right at the end, right there where it says in verse 12, he says, then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. They respond in obedience and the response in obedience, everything changes for them and the nations around them will know that something's different about them because of the way that they gave, God blesses them and it spreads to the other nations. That when we live lives that have been trans informed and transformed by the gospel in, in the way that we handle our money and finances, our neighbors will be able to know that there's something different. That we don't put our hope in our finances, that we don't put our hope in our checkbook, but our hope is in God. And they will see those things and they will understand that God is good. We worship him and as we worship, others get to know his goodness. I want to close and I want to invite the band to come back up as we sing just one more song and just kind of a, a time of response. If you're here this morning and you're like, what? what are you talking about? Why are you yelling about money? Maybe this is your first time or maybe you just haven't, maybe you've never heard a, a, a preacher talk about money and connect it to the gospel. I don't know. I want to tell you that the reason why I'm so passionate about this is because I believe that it does transform our lives. Because I've been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that I had a debt that I could not pay and Christ paid it for me. That I couldn't work hard enough, I couldn't do enough good to overcome the problem of my sin, but Christ came and he died on a cross to rescue me from that. And I, and he invites us in Isaiah chapter 55. I want you to hear this invitation because this is the reason why I'm so passionate about this. Prophet Isaiah says this, he says, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters and all who have no money, come buy and eat. 
Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and labor for what does not satisfy? The invitation that Christ has given us. If you're like, I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about with money and all that. Maybe you understand this. That Christ has invited you into a relationship. A relationship that you can't buy your way into. No matter how much money you have or don't have, you don't have enough to buy your way into this. But it's an invitation that he gives. A free invitation to come and to experience the joy of life with him. Life to the fullest. Life free from those things that grab our attention like our money and finances and say, you worship this. He says, no, you worship me. And I'll take care of those things. So this morning, as we just close in just one song of response, I just want to invite you just to maybe just spend some time, again, just reflecting on where you are and what God, what God's, this call that God has put on all of our hearts, put in all of our lives to trust him with our finances and our money and resources. But ultimately, if this morning you don't have a relationship with Christ, hear the invitation to come, to buy, and eat even without money, life that is full. Come experience the life that Christ provided as he paid the debt that we couldn't pay on a cross where he died for our sins. So let's sing this song together and then we'll have just a couple things to wrap up this morning. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, subscribe to it or share it with some friends. You can also check out some of our great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful for you.